Let's pray together. Lord, we come today, we are thankful again for your word. We ask that you would open our hearts to receive, that you would shape us and transform us, that you would uh, convict us, Lord, and, ch and challenge us, that you would grow us more and more like you. And we ask, Lord, that you would uh, do this because you indeed are worthy. You are worthy to be praised and to be worshipped. And you're worthy to be followed, uh, to be our, our Lord and our Savior. And so we come today uh, looking, looking to do that well. And we open your word to hear your voice to us this morning. So we pray that these words would be your words to your people. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Rob. Uh, it's not very often you get to read a passage where uh, the writer gets to insult people by calling them cows. That's so exciting. Verse 1, I wondered whether to include that or not and thought, well, let's just do it. There it is. I was thinking about what it feels like to return home after being a long ways away. And I remember as a kid living here in Dryden and, and uh, coming, say, from Winnipeg, coming home and uh, you come down over the hill and you cross the little bridge and then you go up and there's the big corner, the two-mile corner, and uh, you take the corner slowly, and I remember as a kid sort of watching with anticipation to see the town, and if it's nighttime, you can see it lit up. Of course, you see the mill. Uh, our kids now are always excited to see the mill. They're convinced they can see it from Winnipeg some days because it's so tall, but uh, anyway. You come around the corner, and uh, there is home, and often with that, the sense of of finally arriving, of course, if you're glad to be home. Perhaps if you're not glad to be home, a different sort of sense comes upon you, of the dread of being back, perhaps. But that sense of coming home, I remember particularly coming from the other way, coming from Thunder Bay as a kid and uh, coming up over the hill and realizing we're home at last, it felt like, because, of course, when you're a kid, driving any, any length of time feels like it takes forever. But coming home brings this sense of, of safety, doesn't it? the sense of, of rest or security, the sense of being, if you have family, surrounded by loved ones and, and knowing where you belong, a place of love and rest. And, you know, coming to Jesus in many ways is like that. It's a return home. It's a return to the one who created us and who loves us and who redeems us. In some ways, you could say salvation is like turning around the corner and realizing there's a, a whole country there waiting for you uh, that you've been invited into when you come to Christ. And here you are now uh, able to come home at long last because we're meant to be back with God, meant to be in communion with him. And we could say probably from the other end of things, from God's perspective, there's a longing in God's heart and it's a longing for you to return home to him, to be back in relationship with him, or if you are in relationship, to perhaps grow deeper in that relationship with him, that his people, his image bearers, would be with him, would be united in him. There's this uh, City of Light song that I love, and the chorus captures this idea of God uh, who loves to see his people return to him because he's the answer to our needs. And the chorus goes like this. It says, he's my strength when I cannot go on. 
He's my peace when all my power is gone. He's hope, although the night is long and deep. He's my song, for he's rescued me. Joy, now that he's set me free. And Amos reminds us of this similar feeling that we're made for this relationship with God. We're made to return to him, to be with him, to be in him. And apart from him, we tend towards all sorts of evils, all sorts of, of, of living that actually can pull us away from God. In some sense, all of our, our sort of pretense to make something meaningful of our lives without God is really uh, just smoke and mirrors. We're made for more, you could say, than uh, money and power and pleasure. We're made for holiness. We're made for life. We're made for wholeness with Jesus. Uh, we're called into that. And that's why we can say when we come to Christ and we're in him that we're actually becoming more human, not less human, uh, because we're becoming the sort of people that God has made us to be. And so that the gospel invitation is, a, is an invitation to return to God. It's an invitation that's made possible because Jesus has gone to the cross for us. And because of him, uh, we can be set free. Uh, in some sense, we can return to God because he first returns to us. He reaches out to us. You know, good stories have this motif of returning. And often it is the, the motif of returning home after a long journey. Sometimes this, it comes with this, uh, this sort of sense, a newfound sense of, of things being made right or whole again. Uh, Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien, had uh, loved this idea of returning home, of recovery in his literature. And often in his writings, you get this idea of, of coming back to what is good. And uh, that, that sense was really important for him to convey that we need stories that remind us that there's something to go back to, that there's a, a true return and a recovery that's possible when we feel distant from God, especially in a world where uh, distance from God and evil apart from God seems so prevalent. And Tolkien described it as a sort of recovery, uh, which includes both a renewal of health and a return to what we once lost. He talked about it as this regaining of a clear view and so recovery is about returning not just to God, but about renewal, renewing back to life that we once knew or perhaps have never known but need to know for the first time. And this passage in Amos this morning is all about God calling his people to that sense of recovery, that sense of renewal, that sense of returning to him. And he's calling Israel back to himself and if they will come back to him, if they will put away their sins, if they will turn and worship him and love him and choose to live for him, then they can be renewed. Then they can be restored. They can regain a clear view. They can be recovered to what they need. And so I ask you this morning, do you need recovery in your life today? Do you need a renewal? Do you need a regaining of a clear view? Do you need to return to God in some sense? Look at how God calls Israel to himself in this passage. There's, there's seven times, and, and you can probably hear it as Rob was reading, because the way it's repeated starts to stick in your memory. There's seven times 
that we read declares the Lord in this chapter. And two of them are God describing Israel. Israel far from God. This is verses 3 and 5 of Amos chapter 4. Israel far from God. Israel empty with hollow worship. If you look at verses 4 and 5, that is all a sarcastic message from God. Right? He's saying, come to Bethel and transgress. Go to Gilgal. Multiply your transgressions. Bring your sacrifices. Bring your tithes. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. You love to do that. Keep going. You must love this. Carry on, says God. Did you know God can be sarcastic? He is here. Go to Bethel and transgress. We talked uh, last time about how Bethel had become an idolatrous place where King Jeroboam had set up golden calves. Go to Bethel and transgress, says God. You're, give yourself to this. You love this. So twice God describes their empty and hollow worship. And then five times, verse 6, verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, we hear God declaring to them why they should return, why they need to come back to him, the ways he has sought Israel first, the ways he's called them to return and to be recovered. Declares the Lord, declares the Lord, declares the Lord five times, I've done this. So you'll come back to me, declares the Lord, declares the Lord. You know what, you know what it's like? It's a bit like when you're trying to get a kid to listen to you. And it it's, can sometimes be a bit of hard work, right? You call them, and then you call them again. And it feels like they have gone deaf. And you call their name again, and perhaps you get a bit frustrated, and you start to threaten punishment. It's always important to threaten punishments you'll actually go through with. If you don't, they catch on to that real quick. And then if, if they don't respond, things start to escalate. And then you have to commit the discipline that you have said you will need to do. And all of that can come not, not from a sense of trying to harm the child or try to be mean, as kids often interpret that, misinterpret. Kids are great at hearing everything and interpreting it all very poorly. That comes from a place of inviting the child into something that's actually good for them. Because as a parent, we know better. And that's what God's doing here. God is doing something similar. He's calling Israel. I did this, and yet you didn't return. I did this, and yet you wouldn't come back. I let this happen to you, to wake you up, and yet you wouldn't wake up. So I let this happen to you, and you still won't wake up. I let this happen. You still won't return to me. And so now I'm going to show up. If you look at verses 6 to 11, there's a number of calamities that God lets happen. There's a series of sort of natural calamities, and there's a series of like social calamities. And the point is that they will not return back to God. Essentially, there, Israel's resisting the healthy restoration and renewal that is God's heart for his people. And they just simply say, no, we don't want that. And you might think, well, why, why on earth would God's people do this? But I, I think it's the same sort of question we need to ask ourselves. Because all of us have some practice at ignoring God, don't we? We're trying to run from God. Often it's because we think we know better than God. 
we think we actually have some uh, better idea than he does. And that's, in some ways, the basic sin of Adam and Eve, right? It's the pride to think that we can do better or we know better than what God says for us. And all of this is to show Israel that what comes next for them, the potential destruction, the exile that will come, is not uh, some sort of unexpected, fickle, short-tempered outrage from a vindictive God. Rather, it's the proper and long-declared, long-proclaimed, patient result of a people who destroy their relationship with God. This is what happens when you won't come back to him. This is the final outcome, you might say, for their pride and their inaction. And God has sent all these appeals and all these warnings time and time again, but they haven't changed. And now God says, well, there's real consequences because God will not force you to love him. He will not force you into a relationship with him. If he did that, it'd be abusive. Right? Have you ever been in a relationship with someone and they are forcing you to try to love them? That's unhealthy. God doesn't do that. He won't force you into relationship, but he will give you opportunity. He will invite you back to himself. And his heart is because he loves you. And so his desire here is for them to turn away from, from false religion. That's what the early passages are about. From their uh, self-indulgence. That's what verses 1 and 2 are about. Their injustice to the poor. Right? What does he say? Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. That's a great line. Who oppress the poor. Who crush the needy. The days are coming upon you, says God. And so God calls Israel and God calls each one of us, folks, into new life with him. And he does it because he loves you. He does it because often the alternative, even though we may think we're fine, is often far, far from what is good and what is right. And the relationship he calls us into is one that's marked by a different sort of character than the culture around us. It's a, it's, it's a life that's meant to be marked by God's love and God's humility, and God's grace. That's the return that he longs for us. If you look at verse 12, he says, Prepare to meet your God. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel. And because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. And so here he comes, just as he promised he would on a sort of great day of vindication. That's Israel's hope is that God will come. God will come and set things right, and he'll get rid of foreign oppressors, and he'll establish his kingdom, and he'll establish his temple, and the glory will flow out, and the nations will stream in, and all will be set right. But there's a flip side to the day of the Lord, and the flip side is that if you are not, uh, if you have not returned to God, if you've actively chosen to be against God, if you've ignored him, and you've said, I don't want to be part of this, then when God shows up, it will not be a good day. It will be a day of justice. And now his coming is not going to go the way you expect. And that's what Amos tells Israel here. Yes, God will come. But because you've chosen life apart from him, when he comes, you're, you'll be on the side of his justice where you will be brought, brought low. You will be brought into exile. Because he's good, he wants to set things right. That's what happens when God shows up. 
And so whether it's the people of God in Amos's day or it's the people of God in our own time, the church, I think we need to hear both the invitation of this passage but also sort of the correction of this passage that we need to keep our hearts uh, firmly on him. There's a warning here that uh, good people can go sideways, right? Good people can go astray. We can all turn to evil, and we need to be reoriented to Jesus, and we need to do that work regularly to make sure that the compass needle of our hearts is pointed to him. One of the great lessons of World War II is the, of course, the dangers of Nazism, but the real lesson, the real terrifying thing about Nazism and about World War II is that good and regular people can turn to evil. It's easy to think, oh, every Nazi was, they were just crazy and terrible. No, they were regular people. Yeah, I mean, Hitler was bad, sure but you begin to convince the regular population that this is what we need to do. And that's scary, because the lesson of World War II is you and I could become like a Nazi. Now, that's a difficult lesson to swallow. It's easy to think, well, they're just bad guys over there. But the danger is you and I are all have that propensity to turn to evil. And the message of the gospel is that despite our greatest evils, Jesus has gone to the cross for us so that we can be rescued and redeemed, so that we can be set free from our sin, so we can be set free from evil. And that's why we need the Spirit to come and to renew us with his love and with his peace and all the sort of broken places in our lives to give us hope, to give us strength when we feel weary, and I love that Amos's message here, because again, these are this is Israel. This is God's people. Again, it's easy to think of them as someone else, but they're more like you and I than we realize. I think so often, again, as you read the Gospels, realize you and I are more like the Pharisee than not. We're the people who grew up, potentially, uh, in, in righteousness, and we perhaps you love God, you know. Um, but our hearts can go sideways. Our hearts can be slippery. So a lot of the message of the Bible is not just to read it, but let it read you and realize sometimes uh, there's a challenging or convicting word from God here. And this Amos passage is like that. Goodness, I'm more like Israel than I realize. I need to return to God. I need to make sure that I'm not uh, going sideways in my worship and in my life and realize God invites me into a new relationship with him. And so what I've done this morning, we're going to come to the table and, and uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper together. But before we do that, I've, I've realized Amos' call is sort of a, a resounding message to people to return to God. And so what I've done is, is this morning I've asked some of our church family to help me do this, is to sort of reenact this call this call over God's people to return to him. And I made a list of scriptures that resound with this theme of returning to God, of recovery or of renewal. And I've asked some volunteers to help me 
And we're going to just proclaim these verses over us as a people this morning, sort of from all around the room, uh, different ones. I tried to find people who sat in various spots, but of course that's hard to do until you're seated. But I've, I've handed out verses to different ones. And, and think of this as a sort of summons, a sort of prayer to call us to put God first in our hearts, to stay in him. And let these verses about returning to God sort of take root in your heart, to shape your heart, to come today uh, to Jesus and to let this invitation to the table be an act of returning to him. That the God who called Israel to return is the God who first returned to us in our sin. That while we were still far from God, Christ died for us and went to the cross for us. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, today, throughout your word, you call us to return to you, to be restored to come into a place of healing and righteousness and goodness because of who you are. Your word calls us, Lord, to test and examine our ways, calls us to draw near to you, that we would cleanse our hands, that we would turn from sin. Lord, that our worship would be in sync with how we live. Because you are good and compassionate. And Lord, we just pray this morning as we meditate on Amos 4 and the call to your people to return to you. We pray this morning as a people of you today. Lord, we want to be constantly near you. We don't want to be far and have to return. We want to be in you. Lord, in the places where we have struggled, in the places where we have wandered, we say today we want to come back to you. Lord, that's individually we can pray that, but we also just pray today on behalf of our nation. Lord, in the ways where we have wandered, in the ways where we are distant, Jesus, we want to return to you and we pray for our leaders this morning, for those in positions of authority, Jesus, that you would draw them to yourself. Lord, that you would do a work in the hearts of those who do not know you, that you would draw them into your salvation, that you'd bring people along who can speak the gospel, that you'd give them openness of heart and ear to respond. Jesus, that as a nation we could return to you. Lord, in our families and in our marriages, sometimes it's easy for things to just uh, carry on and things sort of just go on autopilot. Lord, today we say we want to return to you. May you be first and foremost in our hearts. Lord, in our workplaces, sometimes it's hard to know how to live out our faith for you. We pray that you would give us wisdom and insight uh, to live for you, that the places where we work would return to you. Lord, in our schools, where we see uh, so much brokenness. We pray, Lord, that you would come, that you would set things right, 
that again we could return to you. Lord, we thank you for that call and that invitation because in so many ways you've already returned to us when we have strayed from you. And this morning, Jesus, as we come to this meal, uh, we pray that it would be like an, uh, an act of renewal as we would come forward and receive. It would be like us saying today, Jesus, we do return. Jesus, we do choose you above all others. And Lord, for many of us, we're weary and broken, anxious. There's things in our lives that are going on. We ask this morning that as we would come uh, to this table, that you would renew our hearts and minds, that it would be a return to a deeper faith in you. Uh, Lord, we just say this morning we love you. And as we come to this table, that you would uh, move and speak to us as we uh, celebrate what you've done. We ask this in your name. Amen.